You're listening to the Fooled by the Root podcast. I'm so glad you're here. This is Heidi Marble, host of Pulled by the Root podcast. This episode is an anonymous adoptee who chose to use the name Caroline Sophie from the Da Vinci Code, and she explains why during our interview. I got to meet her ahead of time and see her beautiful face, and then we shut down the video part. I sat on my son's bed with a box of Kleenex and watched the sun go down as this beautiful human being poured her heart out. And I think the sacredness and the intimacy of just hearing each other's voices really brought out something extraordinary inside of this conversation. There is so much, uh, I'm going to cry thinking about it. There is so much to gain from listening to this. So find a comfy spot, a box of Kleenex, and let's listen. Hello, everyone. I am so happy you are here for this episode. This is an anonymous episode, an adoptee who reached out to me. And I think it's just beautiful that she chose the name Caroline Sophie. It was actually from the Da Vinci Code. And I'm going to let her talk a little bit more about why she chose that as her anonymous name, Powerful. Powerful story behind that. When we hear from Caroline tonight, she's going to open up her heart. She's going to speak her truth in effort to aid healing amongst all of the community. We are so grateful that she is here. I would like to read you a bio that she sent. She was born in California in the late 70s. She was adopted via closed adoption through a major religious organization when she was five weeks old. She stayed in California until about five years old and then moved to Idaho, where she has been ever since. She is married to an amazing, supportive best friend husband approaching 20 years together. They have several fur babies. They love to spoil, but no tiny humans. They love being active outdoors all year long. Well, Caroline, I am so very happy that you're here. We had a little bit of a conversation before we pressed record, and, and I already feel that this is going to be something really powerful. So why don't, we, why don't we start with why you chose the name, the anonymous name for this interview. And then also, if you would just like to start maybe at the beginning with your, with your story, and I, I just would love for you to share. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Caroline is a family name and Sophie, as you mentioned, is from the Da Vinci Code. And if you haven't seen it, part of this, the, the movie is about the character, Sophie, finding herself, finding her history, finding her roots, finding out who she is. And I feel like that speaks volumes about my journey. Like it's been finding out who I am. And so, yeah. Um, So my parents were, my birth parents were young teenagers um, and they obviously got pregnant and were not married. So my birth mom was uh, shipped off to California uh, where she had me in a closed adoption. And uh, 
five weeks later, I went home with my adoptive parents who I will refer to as my mom and dad, um, and grew up totally, I want to say normal, like adoption was such not a big deal in my house. Like I grew up, it was normal. Like, you know, kindergarten rolls around and my friend has Velcro shoes and I have tied shoes. She's got blonde hair. I've got dark hair. She's not adopted. I'm adopted. Like it's, it was so normal that I just didn't, I didn't think anything of it. Like it was just so, they had normalized it so much. And so I guess I'll say I was so deep in the fog before I came out that I didn't even know there was fog. I, I, I knew I'd heard the term angry adoptee, but I, I had never met any other adoptees. So I obviously hadn't met anyone who was angry. Um, but I was so deep in the fog that I literally had no clue. Um, Mm. and I remember at when I turned the age that my birth mom had me at, which was like 17, I think. Um, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I could have a kid now. There's no way I could do this. There's no way I could have a kid right now. And I just remember thinking like she did what she thought was best. Like I couldn't do this. I can't fault her for relinquishing me. There's no way I could do this. So I had that realization. And then when I was, I'm going to say early 20s, I moved out on my own. And I moved, I don't know, probably an hour away from my parents. But I had to find new doctors. And this is the first time I hadn't, I had had to find new doctors. Like I had gone to the same family doctor growing up. And what I noticed was I had to keep writing no information adopted on the medical history. And it kind of got annoying, but it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. But what I was shocked by, because I, again, I'd never experienced this before, was the look of pity on the provider's faces when I would, when they were going over your intake information about not having any medical history. It, Mm. it was kind of shocking and Somewhere along the way, I developed a shame about it. And it's really nothing I have to be ashamed of. I mean, inherently adoption, especially closed adoption, is full of secrets. Everything is a big secret. So shame automatically attaches. And I and I I had never felt that before until I started finding new doctors. So, um, you know, I'm bumbling along my 20s into my 30s and I'm still in the fog. And I started noticing on my birthday that I was getting irritated and which is out of character for me because I'm usually really laid back and go with the flow and relaxed. and, And I always enjoyed my birthday, but somehow I would start getting irritated every year and it just got worse and worse every year. And I would get more and more angry around my birthday and I never understood why. 
So in my, uh, I think I was 41, uh, 40 or 41. Um, I reached out to the, um, church that I was adopted through and tried to get my non-identifying information. And they said, okay, well, we'll look at your records and we'll give you a call back. It'll take a few weeks. And so I think it was like two or three weeks later, the pastor from, uh, the local church, uh, called me and said, do I have your information? And by this time I was, I had already left the church. I was not, um, I was not, um, a participating member of the church anymore. And so he said, I, I have your information, you know, let's c- come down and meet. And I was nervous, but excited. I, I didn't really know what it would contain. And I don't really know anything. Um, and so I go down there and meet him and we have this interrogation, I'll call it. For like two hours, he's just asking me all these questions about being adopted and what it's like and growing up. And all the time, he's like drumming his fingers on this file folder. And I can't stop staring at this file folder because in my mind, it like contains my life. And so... Mm. Finally, he goes, oh, I guess you might want this. And I just looked at him and I said, yeah, I do. And he pushed it over to me and he goes, you didn't ask how come I was asking all these questions. And I said, I don't really care. I want this information. So whatever I got to do. And he goes, oh, I was just curious because I have a 10-year-old adopted son and I would I would just want to know what I could help him. And I was just like, you just made me sit two hours through those questions to get this, like for your own benefit, I got up and walked out. I was so mad. Oh, Caroline, I, was so mad. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what a violation. First of all, you're probably so nervous and anticipating this. And then, I mean, that's just highly disrespectful. I'm so sorry you had to experience that. It was, it was a shock. And even at that point, I still wasn't out of the fog yet. And my non-identifying information really didn't contain anything. It just said they were 17. And um, I think under medical history, uh, one of them wore glasses and the other one had hay experienced hay fever like that's, well, that's what they really, had <laughs> okay that's really comprehensive <laughs> like like to a 17 year old that's your medical history like, like I, I just read it here I am you know wow 40 41 and I'm just laughing because I can see these 17 year olds thinking this is the most important thing like this is medical history to them <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh, so it, it took a couple months and then I decided that I was ready to start searching and my whole life. I had had the mentality that I would, I couldn't start searching until I was ready to go through years of searching. Obviously this was before DNA and come to the end of the journey and get a, no, I don't want to meet you. And once I was okay with that response, I knew I was ready to start searching. So I woke up one day and said, I'm, I'm ready. And 
so I got a 23 and me kit and spit in the tube, send it off. And I actually had forgotten about it until I got the email that my results were in. And I was so excited. And I don't know if you've done 23andMe, but it's just a plethora of medical information and um, like your genetic makeup and all kinds of stuff. And it was really overwhelming. It was like walking into the Smithsonian of information about me <laughs> when I had like nothing before. So yeah, it, I found like <laughs> I found I found my birth family before DNA was a thing, and I have not done that. But I can imagine because not only are you probably finding relatives, you're also finding out like what you're made of, literally. Yeah, and yeah, that, and that had to be. Um, uh, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. And we had known like my whole life I was of Chinese descent, but we didn't know how much. And we didn't know, you know, whether it was my birth mom's side or my birth dad's side. And so then all of a sudden you find out I'm a quarter Chinese. Like I didn't know that. And it's a lot of information, but I'm. British Irish. Well, when I think of British Irish, I think of like fair skin, red haired, blue eyed, and that's not me at all. So it was just, it was a lot of information. It was overwhelming. And at first with 23andMe, I didn't turn on the DNA matches because I just got so overwhelmed with just all this information that it that had about me, you know, based on your genetic makeup, you could be predisposed to this, or you could not be predisposed to this. You know, it, it got down to the point where it was like, based on your genetic makeup, you probably don't like cilantro. And I mean, it was just, it's, it's funny now to look back, but it, at the time it was just so overwhelming. So well, it's like you go from zero to a zillion. Yes. And that's exactly what it was like. And so it took me a couple of months to turn on the genetic uh, matches, the, the DNA matches. And when I did, I, my closest hit was like a second or third cousin. And I was simultaneous let down and relieved at the same time. Because throughout this process, my biggest fear was that someone would get, like a sibling of mine would get an alert that says, you have a sister in Idaho. You have an older sister in Idaho. And and they're like, what? We didn't know we had an older sister, you know? So that was my biggest fear. And so I was, like I said, I was simultaneously let down, but relieved at the same time. And it took me a couple months to try and kind of just process that. And then I decided, I just woke up one day and said, I need more. And so I did Ancestry. Again, you spit in the tube, mail off your results. I had forgotten about them. Um, and then I got the note, this note. Um, at 8 o'clock in the morning, my, my phone dinged with a text message that your Ancestry results were ready. Oh. And I jumped out of bed and I had been on... Facebook. Uh, there's a group DNA detectives that help people find um, family members based on uh, DNA results. So I'd been like, I knew what to do. I knew what tips they had said and all that kind of stuff. And so I screenshot everything I could. And my closest match was 
uh, it ended up being an aunt on my biological dad's side. And I really had no idea what I was looking at. And I, I just remember reaching out to the group and this is like thousands of members group. And one lady wrote me back and goes, I've got some time to help you. So, you know, send me, message me your information. And literally six hours later, I had both my birth mom and my birth dad's identities. Oh my gosh, Caroline. I just got goosebumps, (laughs) like rolling goosebumps. Yeah, I had their name. I, I had where they grew up. I had their parents' names. I had where they were currently living. Um, and it was just exciting, but I wanted to throw up at the same time. And, mm-hmm. and it was just a lot to process. And neither one of them are big on social media. I, I don't even think my birth dad's on social media. So I couldn't find pictures of him, but I had found a newspaper clipping of him. So I kind of had an idea and I had found my birth mom's Facebook page. So I had seen a picture of her and it was just like, it was a lot. Like it was a lot to see some, see yourself in someone else for the first time. Mm. Oh, Caroline. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to so, hug you. <laughs> thanks. So I ended up reaching out to my birth mom and I didn't get any response. And I wanted to be very respectful of her privacy because I thought her family might not know about me. Like she was so young, she might not have told them. And I don't want to ruin her life. Um, so I, I tried a lot of ways t- to just be very discreet and just get directly to her. Um, and it took a little time. Um, in the meantime, I reached out to, uh, he ended, she ended up being my birth dad's cousin. Um, and I reached out to her and she's like, yeah, I know exactly who he is. I'll, I just talked to him like two weeks ago and I'm like, whoa, okay, hold on. She's like, <laughs> let me send him your information. I mean, she was like over the moon excited about this. And I'm talking to her at like 10 o'clock at night or something like that. And she texts me the next morning and said, well, I talked to him. I gave him your information. She texts me at like seven o'clock in the morning. And she's, she was so excited. She's like, I talked to him. I gave him your information. He's going to call you. He's really excited. And I'm like, I remember just sitting down, like I was trying to get ready for work and just sitting down thinking, what? kind of universe am I in right now like I'm not on earth anymore there's no way I can be on planet earth like I've somehow stepped into some crazy vortex where like like I don't know I didn't I didn't know like I just didn't know I thought something had happened and I just was no longer on planet earth so my birth dad ended up texting me like two o'clock in the afternoon the same day. And he's like, Hey, this is, you know, so-and-so not sure where to start, but maybe we should talk. (laughs) 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 And, and so we ended up setting a time to talk that night. And 
his cousin had sent me a bunch of pictures of them when they were kids. And so I had seen him as a young kid, but I hadn't seen any like recent pictures of him. So he, he sent me a bunch of pictures of him that were more recent. And I, and I, when we first talked and he answered the phone, cause I called him, he just said, hi. And <laughs> Oh, Caroline. A part I'm with you. I'm with you. A part of my soul I didn't even know existed let out this sigh of relief. Like mm. familiar. Like you you sound familiar. I remember you. And and it was just the most amazing and special experience. <laughs> For the first time in my life, like, I felt safe. I felt, I didn't feel like I was constantly scanning for danger. Um, and I felt connected like grounded attached like I didn't feel like I was just floating out in the universe anymore I finally had like roots there was a connection keeping me grounded to earth like I was tethered to something finally and we talked for probably an hour or two and his energy just felt so familiar to me um, that I was instantly relaxed in talking to him and joking around and we just connected and we're we're actually a lot alike um, mm-hmm. as I'm getting to know him more but um we were both so excited like, we met a month later, like I flew to his, to see him, to meet him. And we met a month later and I went and stayed the weekend with him. And it was just very surreal. Um, he picked me up at the airport and it was the classic, like, you know, reunion story, airport scene, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I remember when he first hugged me. The first thing that came to my mind was, this is what home feels like. (laughs) He's a real person. He is like, he wants me. He, he, I just remember feeling home and this this other part of my soul just completely just more than a sigh of relief. It was just a sense of complete and utter relaxation. Finally, just, just hugging him. And it was a really, like, it was a really awesome weekend um, to spend with him. I met his 
um, youngest daughter, my sister. And, you know, there's a significant age difference between us, I think about 20 years or something. And, but from the moment she met me, she walked in the house and she's like, where's my sister? And (laughs) it was, it was just acceptance from the very beginning. And I say all this because when I entered into reunion, I was also like what I'm going to say, violently ripped out of the fog. All of a sudden, I realized I had experienced a loss. And it was a loss so deep that my, my brain doesn't remember, but my body remembers down to a cellular level. And I was overwhelmed with grief and, but yet excited and happy. And one of the biggest things I've learned throughout all this is we as adoptees have to be able to hold space for two very strong opposing emotions at the exact same time. And that's okay. I can be very upset and sad that I was relinquished, but I can also be very happy and excited that I was adopted. And those, it's not either or. I am both. And Caroline, that's such an important point. Um, Such an important point. Because I think a lot of times people feel like, well, you should be grateful because you got adopted. Well, you know what? Yeah, but I also experienced a really big loss too. A really big loss. And that you have to grieve that loss. It you you have to take the time to grieve that lost time. And that's what people don't understand is that they think that especially in domestic infant adoption like newborns, they think oh the baby's just a blank slate and it it's not. The, the we are not blank slates. No, you know, and no. so I think that's the biggest thing I've learned throughout all of this is, is I couldn't understand why I was so grief stricken when this should have been the happiest time of my life. And it, finally, when I realized like these two emotions can exist together, they're not mutually exclusive. Once I realized these could exist together. I understood a lot more. I felt a lot better. Like I can be excited. I'm meeting and getting to know my birth dad and we're building this relationship, but I can also grieve the time we lost because we lost 42 years with each other and we're not ever going to get that back, you know? No. And so as, as much as I'm excited and the more I get to know him and fall in love with him and everything the harder I grieve and that's okay like that is okay to have that happen it is it is okay Caroline and I think you know we haven't talked about your your birth mom yet but I think it's so interesting that when a lot of us go seeking we're not really thinking about the birth dad 
And right? I don't know why. Yeah. And I just think probably for you, and I don't want to assume that had to just be like the cherry on top to be able to have this, this magical unexpected connection yeah. that you probably weren't terribly focused on. I would imagine I wasn't. you were leaning I wasn't. more toward the birth mom. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I totally was because, you know, I had grown up thinking that he signed the termination paperwork and it was returned almost instantly to the agency. When in actuality, that's not the case. His story is very different. Um, We suspect that his rights were actually terminated through the court system. So he never signed away his parental rights. Um, He was told that they had the I'm pregnant conversation and then she vanished. So he knew I was created, but he didn't know I actually existed. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine what that felt like for him to meet you. Yeah, he he had always wondered, but, you know, he never knew and he had no way to uh, confirm or even start to find details or anything. So he just kept wondering. And so I grew up thinking he never wanted me. And now here I get this man who is absolutely head over heels in love with me. And it, (laughs) it, I mean, it's amazing and I love it, but that, I think that for me was a hurdle in the beginning to, to really realize what I had known for 40 plus years of my life was not right. And that I was, I had the wrong story, I guess we'll say. Yeah, Caroline, I think that's so true is that so many adoptees, well, first of all, we, we have our own story that we tell ourselves. And then, and then that is encouraged or influenced by the environment that we're raised in. hundred percent. And, and so when we find out the truth, it is like a vortex where you get pulled back and rewound almost (laughs) And yeah. you have to rethink your whole life in, in a different you really way. Do. Yeah. And I you wonder, really Caroline, if you feel comfortable speaking about this too, because I know in my adoption case, when I found my birth, my birth mom, my adopted mom, who is my person, she literally turned on me and we were ev- never able to recover. And it was one of the most dev- devastating things to think about. Uh, the person that I love so much that just because I made this decision to find myself yeah and I like you was also in the fog and I ended up having what I call an affair with my birth family so I would I, I would actually go off and lie and do all this stuff because I knew once I knew them I could never let them go exactly and it was just the worst position to be in and I had judged myself so harshly Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize, I honestly, like you said, you're so covered in the, um, like you've suppressed everything. Yeah. I didn't even know all of these amazing adoptees and organizations existed because I wasn't even thinking. I thought I, I was just in my own I didn't world. know. I'm like an evil person yeah. here. And yeah. to find out that it's normal, like yeah. we, what we want and what we desire is normal and actually if you really drill down on it it's a human right for the love of all things it is and so these conversations are so important caroline and you're you know telling these stories because 
what I believe to be true. And I am new to all this, even though I'm 55, I'm learning. But it Mm -hmm. seems to me that if you adopt a child, you need to consider that that child comes to you with a trauma, with a history. Yes. And no matter how difficult all of that is, that child deserves to know that at some point. Yes. And, and, you know, I won't carry on because I, I think we see eye to eye, but I just do very much. So, (laughs) okay. I just be curious to know, like, how did this work with your adopted family? What can you share with us? And also I'd be really interested to see what trail you went down with your birth mom. If if you wouldn't mind sharing those things as well. Yeah. So I don't know at what point I decided this, but I've ever since I can remember, I've known I would not search until both my parents had passed away. And because I knew that they could not handle a relationship for me to have a relationship with my birth parents or my birth family, I knew they would not be able to handle it. And I knew that that would be the relationship with them would be a huge vulnerability to me. And I couldn't risk that in any way, shape or form being weaponized against me. And so I did not search until both my parents had passed away. My mom had been gone 10 years and my dad been gone eight years and I, I felt, I finally felt safe that it was, it was safe to search. Um, and it was probably two or three months into reunion with both my birth parents before I even told my adopted family. And I was so much guilt. I was, I literally collapsed under all the guilt because I felt like I was, I was high. I mean, I was hiding this from them and I felt like I was betraying them. And, and they, when I, I, I told my uh, adopted dad's sister first. So my aunt that I'm pretty close to, and she was over the moon excited over them. I can't even describe how excited she was. And then I told, um, three of my mom's sisters, my adopted mom's sisters, and they were over the moon excited. And to this day, I mean, we're three years into reunion now to this day, they still ask how it's going with them, how they're doing, you know, how I'm seeing that, you know, they still ask and, and want to know and are excited. So it, so I purposely waited, um, because I didn't, I did not want to deal with that, with having either the relationship used against me or them having a, like my parents having a reaction and severing that relationship that I just, I knew I couldn't handle it. So I just didn't. And I knew it was a gamble. Um, because my adopted parents were older. Um, they were both, uh, early forties when I came and I knew my birth parents were young. They were 17. So I thought 
the odds are my adoptive parents will pass away first and my birth parents will still be alive. So the odds are that I could wait until my mom and dad pass away to search. And, and I did. Uh, Caroline, it just, it's, no one should be put in a position to have to make these choices. It literally breaks my heart. It's like a no win. It is. (laughs) Um, It is. And what, like what, for me, what adopted parents don't understand is reunion can be the most amazing bonding experience for you and your child if you are genuinely supportive of a relationship between your child and the birth parents and the birth family if you genuinely accept them into your life you can have such an amazing bonding experience with your child in reunion supporting them and and helping them and helping them navigate like it's there's so much potential there and most parents can't can't do it and it just it's sad it's sad and it doesn't it doesn't bring the closeness and it doesn't preserve anything no no I mean I think that's and and I you know I understand like I know I have a biological son and (laughs) You know, I know when he would do stuff and I felt betrayed or whatever, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, and I gave birth to him. I can't. <laughs> so, you know, I can certainly yeah. sympathize with the fear that I can you might too. have. Yeah, I can. But there's a point where that has to, if, if you are adopting a child, th- there are resources and help to get through these things. And yeah. that you're absolutely right that, I mean, it would have made all the difference in the world if my mom could have just kind of white knuckled it and got through it with me. I didn't think I could ever love her more, but I'm sure it would have been another level and instead it destroyed our relationship. So it's like, it's so sad all the way around. And I'm so, I'm so glad that, you know, you're, you're able to express this so beautifully. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it took me a long time to see that. But if, when your child grows up and gets married, you accept the in-laws into your life. Most people view that your child's in-laws is an extension of their family. So how can, and and they're not insecure about in-laws coming in the picture. So how can you be so insecure with the birth parents? And I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. In in my story, the void that was created when I was relinquished was not filled by my parents. And the void that was created when my parents passed away was not filled by my birth parents. Those voids are still there. And they can't be filled. it's comparing apples and oranges. I still have a void from losing my birth parents. I still have a void from my adoptive parents passing away. Those voids will always be there and no one can fill them. No one. You're not replacing anyone. And that's what, what people don't understand non-adoptees don't understand that the 
you can have multiple sets of parents and that's okay. That, that no one's replacing anyone. I mean, underline, highlight, exclamation <laughs> point. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's add bold. Let's add bold. Oh. Oh yeah. my gosh! Such such beautiful truth, and I love how you describe that because that's exactly what it is. I believe fully that the human heart it has the capacity to love. There's no boundary. There's not. And you're right. And, and it's, there are these not separate categories, but maybe they are. Uh, I, I think that mm, that really hit me, Carol. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> My heart is just thumping right now. Just, oh. Mm. I use this an example because I, I have early on in reunion, I was very active in Facebook adopt, adoptee groups. And if you don't know, the adoptee community is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, coming out of the fog, like being ripped out of the fog, very, very early on, I, I stumbled into these adoptee groups and I discovered what I call these adoptee veterans. They had been out of the fog, they had done their work. And to listen to them talk, it was like they had just ripped open my soul and were so eloquently explaining everything that I was feeling. And I'm still trying to figure out how to form words. And they're just writing this huge thesis about everything that I'm feeling. And they had just nailed it. And it was so refreshing to know that I wasn't the only one, that what I was feeling was common among adoptees and they literally were able to help me put words to my feelings and what I was going through because they had done their work they had been through it they had been out of the fog for extended period of time I don't know how long but they they knew exactly what I was going through so yeah, the adoptee community is phenomenal. Oh, Caroline, I know. I My days are filled with these beautiful stories just floating all around me. I feel so covered in all of it. it it's mm-hmm. just, it's absolutely very, it's very difficult to describe. It feels otherworldly. Yeah. It is so incredible. Yeah. And I, you know, one other thing I really want to talk to you about too <laughs> is you decided to be anonymous. Yes. And I really want to know more about that. And if you can share with us why I can, um, I think that'd be really powerful for people to understand. So I'm going to back up a little bit. I did end up, my birth mom did end up responding to me and her she again felt familiar. She felt safe. She felt like I could feel her energy and her love, especially when we were together. Like when we were physically in each other's presence, I could, I could feel it, but I could also feel her anxiety and her angst 
and her she was terrified and because I'm a physical representation of one of, if not the worst time in her life. And I am a secret that she's been guarding for 41 years. I am her biggest secret. And so it took her a long time to um, come to grips with that it was okay to talk about me, that it was okay to mention me. Um, and everyone she told was supportive, which was good. Um, but she was shipped off when she was 17 to California and she didn't have a say. She didn't have a voice. Her voice was taken from her. And I really feel like because my story intersects so much with hers and with my mom and dad's story and my birth dad's story that I don't want to take away her voice. I, I think she needs to have the voice to tell her story. And so I don't want someone to say, Oh, we just saw so-and-so we heard her podcast and then her story's out there. Because it's not my story to tell, it's her story. And I think she needs to have the voice for that. Um, so with all that being said, uh, we were in reunion three years. And I hate to use the term failed, but it, it, it's a failed reunion. Um, ultimately... And here's why I don't like the term failed, because I walked into reunion wanting to know, to know about me. And even though it failed, I still learned so much about myself, about who I am as a person, my values, um, my strengths, my weaknesses, and I learned about her. And... Ultimately, it, it failed because we just couldn't get on the same page. And so that, that's why I was anonymous is because I, I think she needs to, to have the voice to protect her story or to tell her story because her voice was taken away. Oh, Caroline, <clears throat> it's such a contrast from what you experienced with your father. It is. And it is. So how have you, how have you coped with all of this? I think that there are so many, hopefully so many adoptees listening to this and birth parents and you know, helping professionals and adoptive parents. This is the audience we want to reach, a broad right. audience, so that we can right. have better understanding. Yeah. So what can you speak, if all of these ears are listening, what can you speak from what you've learned? Like, you've already said so much, but like, what advice would you give adoptees who are starting reunion? Because it is, I was not prepared. I wasn't I don't know either. If you can, 
I don't know if you can adequately be prepared, but I was totally not prepared. I don't, I don't think you can adequately, I don't think you can prepare for it. I really don't. But at least having, I do think though, that listening to things like this, reading books, listening to those, you know, the elders in the community, if you will, that have been through it. Yeah. I do think there's so much value in that because then maybe we go about it in a way that's a little more careful or maybe not as surprising, but yeah. you're right. I, I don't know. I just love to hear your point of view on what I, you might say to people. Yeah. And I think we can learn from others' mistakes. You know, I, I walked in assuming everybody's definition of, we'll say a relationship was the same as mine and it's not, you know, I asked, do you want a relationship with me? Yes, I do. I wish at that point I would have said, tell me what that looks like. Tell me what a relationship with me looks like from your perspective. Do we communicate? How do we communicate? How often do we communicate? Do we see each other? You know, give me that visual and I'll give you my visual. The advice I would say is to adoptees, I would say, find yourself an an adoption competent therapist because there's a lot of work involved and you have to be dedicated to working on yourself because I really walked into reunion and I thought we're going to be skipping down the yellow brick road happy and you know singing kumbaya and all that and it was I was blindsided by how many things I had come up that I had no idea. I mm-hmm. I suddenly had all these insecurities and I had never had insecurities before. And I, I suddenly had massive abandonment issues and, and I knew I had them a little bit before reunion, but they just multiplied. And So that's the first thing I would say. And then I would also say to the adoptees, keep in mind that the people you are meeting now are not the same people they were when those decisions were made. So you could find someone now who is very affluent and has a lot of a great built themselves a great life. And we tend to apply what we see now to the decisions that were made when, before we were born and think, well, why can't they, why couldn't they keep me? Why couldn't this, why couldn't that? And so the people you're meeting now, yes, they're the same person, but they are not the same people. They've lived life and had experiences and they're not the same ones who made the decision at that time. They're not, most of the time, they're not at the same place in their life. And so you have to remember that, that you can't apply what you see now to decisions back then. Mm, And then I would say, I would say, To birth parents and adoptive parents both, I would say you can't love the hurt away. But what you can do is you can acknowledge it 
and you can validate it and you can normalize it. You can say, I see you're hurting. I see you're upset. I don't understand it, but you are feeling it. So you are absolutely entitled to be upset. And do you want to talk about it or do you not want to talk about it? Because either way is totally fine. You, you have the power to validate and reassure. And that's the biggest gift you can give your child is the validation that their feelings are, are okay. They're acceptable. They're normal. Even if you don't understand them. Because you, unless you're an adoptee, you will probably never understand fully what we experience. Caroline, I'm just trying to breathe in and out right now. (laughs) There is so many things that you've said in this interview that are so powerful and so helpful. Um, I'm just processing it. Just the last thing that you said, that was just incredible. That is just such pure and beautiful, beautiful advice. As we as we start to wrap things up here, Caroline, where is the hope? I mean, what has this, how has this strengthened you? You know, I just think people need to also know that through all of the adversity that we go through, there are, there are some... I don't want to call them gifts, but I know there has to be, like for me, I would say I feel more compassion. The hypervigilance makes me more compassionate. You know, there's just different things that our suffering can mold into. And I just wonder, like, what has this adversity done for you? And what hope can can you give? I think this has... Reunion, especially early on, broke me. It really did. It peeled me back to my core and absolutely broke me. And I was in a dark place. And through everything that has happened in Reunion, I have found my inner strength. And I have found my self-worth and my value and I have become my own best friend and I defend my best friend to the end so that's what I've said that's what I'll say is that I have found my strength is the biggest thing and my self-worth. I I really do now love myself. Because for a long time I didn't I didn't think I was lovable. Even though I have an amazing family and a wonderful husband, I didn't think I was lovable because of relinquishment and this has taught me that I am lovable and I am worthy of love and 
as a human, I'm hardwired for that connection. And that is okay. I don't, I think what we tend to forget as adoptees is that it takes a lot of strength to, to be in our shoes. We get so used to just dealing with everything. It takes a lot of strength and courage. And that's what we need to remember is we are strong and we are courageous. Because reunion is not for the faint of heart. Adoption, facing your own relinquishment and adoption issues is not for the faint of heart. It takes an immense amount of strength and courage and vulnerability. And we have that. We do. This interview has been incredible. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, there's nothing I can add. That, <laughs> just, we just, we just stopped. Caroline thank you so much thank you I thank you for this project because this is there's a need for this out there and I appreciate you doing this because there's definitely a need it is it is my greatest honor to be part of anything that involves healing uh, and to be able to connect so deeply with all of you so thank you for that thank you caroline thank you bye bye